So welcome, Dr. Smith. We're so excited you're here. For everybody who doesn't know her, she is the original first and only charting coach. Um, can you just tell us how you got here, how you got to be doing this to help other doctors, and then kind of what you want to do today, and I'll sit in the background unless you need me. Absolutely. That's totally fine. <clears throat> so I'm a rural family physician, um, and so how do I have credibility for surgeons? We'll get to that in a minute. So I was 15 years as a family physician and still trying to get home. So the last patient would leave at between four and five, and I'd still be there well late. And I would get a text from my husband about six o'clock, 6.30 saying, are you ever coming home? Um, we had this agreement that you would text us at about six and I would forget every single time. And I would go home and I would help cook dinner or cook dinner and be present with the family around the dinner table, which was super good. Um, but that didn't mean I was done. It meant I was going to be going back to my charting and inboxes uh, well into the late of the night. Um, I'd had enough of that and I was wondering what was wrong with me and uh, if I meant it would have to leave medicine. So that's kind of that guilt that I think we have um, on ourselves as physicians, especially when we're struggling with our charting and paperwork and clinical day. And so it was around about five years ago, I realized that my eldest kiddo was within two years of leaving home. He was about to finish school and I really wanted to be home with the family. Um, that was my big push. And the next thing that helped was that I, uh, sorry, I'm just going to pin myself again. I did something funny. I was just having a bit of a delay on my end, but I got it. <laughs> I was on my way to a medical student orientation and I was looking for motivational speakers, uh, on the way to this place, which was five hour drive. And I had to give a presentation and I wanted to be just a little bit more interesting than my normal, um, boring talk that I would give to the student doctors. And I came across the life coach school podcast and five hours later, it blew my mind that the clinical day doesn't just happen to us. We actually get to have some control in our lives. And that was brand new to my understanding at that point. I had no idea that it was possible to not just feel angry whenever they'd give me a new QI project or something else that they wanted me to monitor. Um, so she said these words, she said, I can help you fix any problem. And I thought, you don't understand charting, administration, and paperwork burden of physicians. You don't get it. And that was my, my thought is she doesn't get it. So I went looking for a physician coach who could help me. And the only physician coaches five years ago were trying to help you leave medicine. <clears throat> I could find coaches to help me leave medicine, but I actually wasn't done with clinical care. I didn't know what else to do. I knew I loved my patients and I was very good at family medicine at that point, but I really just wanted to get home with everything done. So I went back to the original, um, life coach who was a general life coach and took 18 months. And I, I, I like to say it cost me $36,000 to fix my charting problem because it did by the time I'd done general life coaching and life coach certification um, to help me be able to get home with my charting done because there was no path. There was no easy, simple um, path to follow to get home with everything done. And so that is where I am uh right now <laughs> yeah that's right amy Thirty-six thousand, because of course we're in canada here so everything that's us cost me an extra 30 percent. so it's so much fun anyway <clears throat> so from there i wanted to and the reason i went back to certification was i wanted to help my at that point family physicians with life coaching i thought i'd be a family physician life coach and then every single one of them who came to me had exactly the same problem charting paperwork, can't get home. I never feel like I'm done. I can work 24 seven and never be done. <clears throat> so it started with uh, family physicians and then it quickly transitioned into this six step process for getting home with everything done. Um, and then other physicians started coming to me. And then a year ago, I launched a program where any physician can join. So 
<clears throat> I racked up about 500 coaching hours in the specific area of charting paperwork and clinical day, which is where I met all these wonderful other coaches uh, is from the same school that we all trained in. And so as, as surgeons, because you're all amazing women surgeons, uh, you also have clinic days. You also have days when you're in the office seeing patients, closing charts, uh, dealing with staff, dealing with forms potentially, uh, dealing with interruptions and dealing with questions, triaging documents, uh, patient portal things potentially. And so that's what we're here today to do is just to look at what is it about your clinical day that you would love a magic wand to fix. And so we've got some attendees here. If you want to pop into the chat box, what is annoying you? What frustrates you about clinical day? And if you had a magic wand, what would you fix? So I'd love to hear answers because that will help me direct my coaching and teaching for you this morning. So if you've got access to the chat box, go ahead. Any questions at the moment, Kelly? I was just chatting in, um, in uh, but I'll, I'll speak. Interruptions, um, everybody needing you, which is silly because you're the surgeon. So like you literally are the boss and everybody needs you. But, um, and then I like this one that Erica said, 18 clicks it takes me to close a patient chart. All <clears throat> I have like, I have a couple of different EMRs I have to log into. I have two mm -hmm. different radiology things I have to log into mm -hmm. um, to like get everything up and going on the computer in the morning. Yeah, it just seems like somebody hates me. Um, <laughs> running from clinic back to hospital, uh, always late. Late to clinic takes longer than fifteen minutes for post ops. Often running behind. Um, I would never double book, but I always have double booked appointments. I'm just saying yeah. it out loud for the recording, but I'll, yeah, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, I see that. So I saw the first one, which is notes taking too much time. Um, I hear you, Kelly, with the multiple hats that you wear. So as specialists, you don't just see patients and close notes and have an inbox. Often you're doing something specialized like reading radiology reports for your particular patient. Um, so that, that's a separate hat we need to consider as well within your clinical day. Um, everyone needs you taking too much time to chart complex patients and um, getting called to the OR. Okay. So the basic premises of getting home with everything done from your clinical days, um, the four essential steps, we can talk about um, what gets in the way of these, but the step one is closing your charts after every patient. And what that means is you're seeing a patient with the intention that at the end of the consultation, the informational continuity, the documentation part is done. Now that absolutely feels impossible when you first hear that. So when you uh, have that desire, so you may not have the desire to go home with everything done, but I suspect if you're here listening to the charting coach, that's probably something that you're interested in. Uh, and I haven't met too many physicians who love homework and love doing charting in the evening. There are some. Uh, I looked after some of them at the beginning who haven't had a weekend in decades and haven't had an evening off charting for a very long time. And they just expected that to be normal. And so they really didn't have that driving desire to make huge changes initially. So I get it if that's not your desire. So I want you to understand what is it that you would create for yourself if you could about your clinical day? What would be that magic one that you would have for yourself? Where would you like to go? So having a goal is really helpful for you in order to decide where you're going because you don't know your exact way yet but we're looking out for the most simple solution to get you there so when we see a patient we have that intention of closing the note as we go that way you are going day through your day with everything done because each patient encounter is complete 
And what that means is you're not having to mash those details into your head. You're not seeing your 12th patient of the day and still having the last 11 patient charts open and having to remember the minutia of their encounter. So now with that statement, we're starting to be curious of if you wanted that note closed, how and where would you do it after the encounter? So some of you type in the room, some of you dictate, some of you have a scribe. So we're not talking about one-way matches to everyone. We're looking for whatever you're doing now, optimizing it. Now, when you work as a surgeon, you're working in a small field of medicine, right? Now, you might be a general surgeon, so you have lots of types of surgery you can do, but you're still in that same taking a referral and the history from a, a doctor who sent you a patient potentially, or you're seeing a patient, I guess, with somebody in the ER potentially, and then you're doing your exam, you're making a expert op opinion for them because you are the boss, of course. Then you're explaining that to the patient. That's your education. Then you may have forms to do, consent processes for surgery, if they're going to go ahead with surgery, or you're making a letter back to the family doctor. However that it goes for you, you know your process. How and where would you do it if you wanted to have your charting done after this patient? So that's a step one. And then all of the objections to why that's never going to work for you, pop them in the chat box. So why can't you get your charting done after every patient? So we had somebody say it takes too long. So now we're looking for the minutes and seconds. What would help you save minutes or seconds off the documentation of this encounter? What needs to go in your note? You know what needs to be there. It needs to be a reflection of what just happened, your pertinent positives and negatives to help your clinical decision-making, the assessment and plan, and then anything else like your imaging studies, ultrasounds, anything else you need to order, your consent forms if they're going for surgery and the billing. That's it. That's all that needs to be in there. Other patients waiting. I want it to be quiet. The patients are complicated. I want to look things up. Measurements on imaging. Okay, so the measurements on imaging. So you can document the entire encounter and have that part of the note complete. You can close the note with the current working diagnosis, knowing that there is something you need to look up to give them your expert opinion on what the next steps will be. But we're trying to get the entire encounter complete. There may be some tasks that we need to schedule for later, like the calculation and measurement imaging. Absolutely. But you want your entire encounter. This part, I love this. I need it to be quiet. What is that costing you? That thought of I need quiet to finish my notes is common. I'm not kind of calling you out as something that you're doing that's wrong, Lindsay. But I'm just saying that if you let that thought stay there. It means I want to do this later when it's quiet. What does that mean? It means homework. Okay. It means probably 10 PM tonight because you've got a little person as well. You're waiting for them to go to sleep now as well. So if you wanted to get your note done, how and where in your office space as it exists now would give you the closest amount of quiet. Could it be headphones on, negative earmuffs, a different space where you work? What could you do to make that better? Uh, interruptions by office or hospital issues. Still completing the morning rounding notes from inpatients. Yes. So when you're in the clinical day, we're hoping that as you rounded in the morning, you were able to get your notes done as you went as well. So we're, we are really trying to, you won't have this result for yourself tomorrow, but we're really trying to get you coming into that understanding of as I go, I want things complete as I go through the day. Uh, interruption. So as we were talking about before, you're the boss. Each of those interruptions is costing you five more decisions in your clinical day. That sucks, right? So five more decisions. You're thinking about 
Where am I at right now? What was I doing? Can I do this request quickly or do I have to look up a new chart? If I look up that chart, what else will that mean? Uh, we'll just put it on my desk. All right, so you've just made five more decisions in addition to all the thousands of decisions you're making daily. So if we can start to batch some of those interruptions. Now, if you're on call and the hospital calls and you've got to go deal with bleeding or emergent, that's something of your, we need some plan B time for you. Um, but we're looking for the general staff interruptions that happen. So some of my physicians get a knock on the door every single clinical encounter, and that's clearly not going to be helping them get home with everything done. Uh, yeah, every time you walk out of the room, there's people wanting your attention. And that's exactly what we need to start to be curious about. So what we're doing today is we're thinking about how your day works. We're thinking about how the business of your day runs. We're starting to be curious and aware of when am I interrupted? What happens in my day? What is the flow of my day? What is getting in the way? And from that place, from that outside of the busyness of your day is when we should be starting to think about our clinical day. We can't start to take ownership of our clinical day until we understand and bring awareness to what am I wanting and what is happening right now? And if I wanted a different result, how could we start to create that? All right. Um, another obstacle there was 18 clicks, <laughs> 18 clicks in the EMRs. Our EMRs were not designed for us. It was designed as just a way of holding information or perhaps frustrating you. I don't know. <laughs> they were certainly not made for user usability. Um, that means that when you are clicking buttons, is there any way to make any of this faster? So for instance, when you bring up a lab form that's blank and you put things in it, that is costing you seconds and clicks. Is there any way to have made a template for that so that there is less minutes and seconds in the room? Uh, what forms do you leave the room for? So anything you get interrupted for, you have to leave the room to go get. Um, those things we need to start paying attention to so that we are not being interrupting ourselves within that encounter as well. Okay, so we go, so, that, so we've got that, see the patient do the note in mind. We're starting to think about that. If I wanted to get the note done, how and where would I do it? We start to be curious about the length of time in the room with the patient, because as you know, finishing off that chart takes a few extra minutes or for you, it might take 10 minutes. Whatever it is, we need to account for that within the time allowed for this patient. And so now we need to be curious about the time we're in the room with the patient. How long are we there for and what are we doing in there so that we create enough time to get our charting done too. We're starting to lead the session. We're starting to be curious about where do all those minutes and seconds go in the room. Okay. You know your value to the patient. You know what needs to happen in there to be able to give great value to the patient. You know, you know what you need to ask, what you need to assess, the plan, the education the patient needs and the forms that need to be completed for this patient. But now we're looking at the minutes and seconds. What could we be doing to help ourselves get out of there as fast as possible? What are we doing in there that's costing us time? So we're just being curious to start with. We're just being aware of the style of medicine that we do so that we're creating time. I love creating time. So good to get our charting done too. So that see the patient, do the note, see the patient, do the note. We're doing that for our clinical encounter time. Yes, just chatty time with the patients. So chatty time with the patients is costing you getting home with everything done right? Because it's costing you time to be able to get your charting done. So between patients, when we're doing that protected clinical time, we want to be really focused on not doing anything else, unless it's a true bleeding emergency or call to the OR, or you're on call. So you have to take the calls from the particular person who's going to be calling you while you're on call. Nothing else. You don't want your staff asking you if Mr. So-and-so can still be seen because he's 10 minutes late. You don't want to be asked if Mr. So-and-so can have a script refill. 
none of those pieces of interruptions are true emergencies. They're the ones that need to be batched in your clinical day. So now we've got clinical encounter time where you're seeing patients closing notes. Now we need to create time for your other hats. And this is where as physicians, we just let our day happen to us. Typically, we haven't really considered everything else of our clinical day. So one of you here said that you need to do calculations and measurements on imaging. So that is a really high brain level task. You need to be somewhere where you are not interrupted if possible with the imaging um, software in front of you, where you can actually look at the patient's presentation and the images and make a thorough plan. So that is a hat that you're going to wear. So you want to be able to create in your day the time of day that's going to work for you, where you're going to be able to have that dedicated space to do those higher level work. Some of my radiologists need to look through 3,000 images and get a report, right? You don't want 20 interruptions in the middle of that where possible. We want to limit those interruptions to the most important only. So how and where can you create space to be able to do this higher level work in a time of day and place that makes sense for you? So we need to consider that as one of your hats that you wear, a time, a protected time we need to find for you to do that higher level work. And then we need protected space for the messages, for the inbox, for the script refills, for the triage letters, the th other things that come in that make up your clinical day. So if you were to think about it, you've got the patients and the charts, how much time do you need for everything else. So how much time do you spend per week doing your inboxes, patient messages, triage letters, maybe not your specialized hats, but maybe you could consider your specialized hats separately. So have a think about your week ahead and start thinking about how long it takes you to do that. Amy, good question. So you're saying chatting builds trust. Very important. 18 clicks for a chart note does not. Okay. So when we enter the room to see the patient, because these are patients you may not have continuity with. So they, these are new patients to you. Those first few minutes, understanding what they're here for and giving them your attention, absolutely great for building rapport. Okay. But the entire encounter looking at the patient is not required for that rapport. That can just simply be something that our brain has thought over and over and over and over for years and years of clinical practice as true, as a true belief that I must pay attention to the patient with my whole heart, with all of my eyeballs for the entire encounter in order for them to trust me. Is that true? Start to be curious. Is that true? Is my patient trusting me even when I do charting in the room? Start to take notice of and try something new because the only way we get a new result is to try new things even when they're uncomfortable. So we're just going to start to question that belief that you have, okay? Question the belief of I have to look at the patient the entire encounter in order to build trust. We start to get curious about that. All right. To um, <laughs> trust and give me good reviews. Can I get good reviews and get my charting done? Ooh, that's an interesting one to think about. Hey, women care more, so we take longer. Okay, women care more. Thought. We take longer. Thought. Do we have to take longer? Can we care? and do our job and not take longer. Interesting. Okay. It's holding you back. Yes, it is. Okay. 
took the computer in the room, especially for the new and long patients, and it's really helped. Interesting. So that is, Amy, where you're starting to question those fixed beliefs. When you pause, so the interesting thing about doing a charting in the room, you don't have to record every word. You never have, okay? You're going to use your concise summary for the note. That is an opportunity to help the patient understand if you've understood them, right? If you're like, okay, I'm going to get some of this down. Tell me if I got it right, okay? And you start to do that concise summary out loud as you're typing it out, and it can help the patient understand if you have understood their concerns. I don't like to have my back to the patient. Patient rooms are poorly designed. Okay, I don't like to have my back to the patient. What is that costing you? So you're going to sit and get to know them in those first few minutes. That's your rapport building. But then you're going to move to the computer to do your notes. I can't have my back to the patient is a thought that you've had on repeat practiced in your head since you were a resident, okay, or since you were a med student. Somebody decided that was bad. It's just a thought. If you went to the accountant and gave him all the numbers for the year and was going to get him to do the taxes and he wrote nothing down for the entire encounter, would you trust him? If he was going to do it all by memory later? Yes or no? No. Right. So the documentation is your informational continuity. This is your living memory of what happened in the encounter. By taking that opportunity in the room to capture what the patient's telling you, what's important to them, what your clinical findings were, and the reasons why you made this decision with them in real time. You do not have to mash all that details into your head later. Okay, taking the computer into the room as well, says Anne. Great. Those rooms that aren't set up for you, okay? Sometimes just moving the keyboard a little bit so you're half angled towards them can be your little step in between having your back to them. Moving the chair so that they're a little bit closer to where you are is another possibility. But you can really truly, when you have this desire to have your charting done, you can come up with your most simple solutions with the technology and the rooms the way they're set up for you. And it may not be possible. You may literally have to have your back to the patient. Um, the rolling desk on Amazon, yeah, is 40 bucks. Super fun. But some people can't use a laptop in the room. So for them, it's not going to work. All right. So you're starting to see how it can be simple or you can find your simple solution or you can start to try new solutions to come up with some different ways of doing your clinical day. Okay. Double booked. So we as physicians are the, the boss. You're the executive decision maker in your clinical day. You're the one who is making the decisions all day. So we do need to protect you, right? We need to protect your decision-making tree. But sometimes you have no control over how many patients are coming in for the day and the double bookings. So even then, even when you have double booked patients, you still want to be seeing patients and closing notes. So that double booked patient, we now have to think about them not as having a full encounter time with you, not having a full amount of time allocated with you. They have a short appointment. They've got to fit in appointment. We have to approach those appointments slightly differently. We're not going in with the luxury of time. We're not going in with that full 20 minutes, half an hour. We're going in focused to the problem at hand. Not in a bitchy way, but just in a simply guided way. You're going to lead that consultation. We're not going to have chit-chat. You know, because you've done this before. If you've got a surgery to be in, but you have to quickly see this patient, you get to the point. You don't get to the point in a way that um, rubs them the wrong way, but you know you have to be somewhere else. But you still want to be able to attend to that patient's needs. So we're leading the session. We're hopping in saying, okay, I need to see you for this, this, and this. How's it going? What's going on? You assess it as you're talking to them. You write it down. You go to the thing you were going to. 
So you know the, the tools for this because you do them over and over. You just, in, when we get into that clinic mindset, it kind of disappears and time goes out the window and we start running behind. We're wondering what's gone wrong. Nothing's gone wrong. We're just in a different mindset in that moment. Okay. All right. So I think I've done enough talking by myself. I think we should try and get somebody on to cook with. Uh, calling with test results. All right. So, Anne, do you want to come on? If you're in a place where you can coach, pop your hand up and we can bring you on. Okay. Are you able to bring her on? Because I'm not hosted here. Thanks. I'm going to try to change you to the host so you can play. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm the host. You're the host. So I'm going to get rid of the record. Then we're good. Is she there? Yeah, hi. Hi. Now I don't have you side by side. I can't see you yet. How about we I wasn't expecting to be coached. There we go. Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, that's the best time because we're not typically in clinic at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My husband was laughing. He said, leave it to surgeons to schedule a meeting at 9 a.m. on Sunday. <laughs> Well, it's because I'm doing a merge on call uh, today. No um, problem. <laughs> I thought, well, you I was know. like, it's perfect. I'm awake. I love it. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So um, you are wondering about test results, giving them by phone. Mm -hmm. yes. So how would you get paid for that? Um, so that's the problem. I think that's my biggest problem is I don't really know. Um, currently, I'll tell you what I'm doing because um, I do vascular surgery and sometimes, and a lot of, I have a conundrum because a lot of older people, um, yeah. they live far away and they don't really want to, they want to get their tests done and they don't really want to necessarily spend like four hours there waiting for me after, you know, they just, it's a lot of time for them or it could be hard for them to come back. So every night, so I'll say, okay, I'll, you know, why don't you get your test done and I'll call you back. Um, and then, then that's, that's it. <laughs> and I'm fairly new in practice, you know? So at first I was just kind of relying on my memory and then I was like, okay, I'm forgetting things. Obviously that's not going to work. So then I started having my office schedule a quote unquote phone consult. Um, so that at least I know that they're in the, there's a time slot. So it ends up being a 15 minute quote unquote phone consult. But I'll tell you, in reviewing the imaging, talking to the patient, and trying to explain whatever I'm trying to explain, um, like, you know, the billing is like, um, you know, talking on the phone five to seven minutes, uh, seven to 11, or, you know, something like that. And I just feel like that's not really reflected. Like, it's really, an, it's the, Im the information you're trying to convey is really too complex to be captured in a phone consult. Um, so I was wondering what other people did and if they just kind of bit the bullet and said, look, you have to come back to the office. End of story. <laughs> so why, why wouldn't you want them back in the office? Mm, I, so I, I, I do want them to come back. Um, it's just that they sometimes, like if, for example, they're in a nursing home, mm -hmm. very difficult, you know, not so easy to come back. Um, um, a lot of times why? I do veins why? and like, why, why would I not want them? Yeah. No, why would it be difficult for someone in a nursing home to come back? Mm, because the, there's so many layers of uh, sort of, you know, transportation, someone like, you know, making the appointment, getting the transportation set up um, and, and getting there. Sometimes they just get sort of missed. And I don't really know why that is. Um, the other scenario that comes up, the nursing home patient and then the young mom who mm -hmm. wants um, like vein, vein stuff done and mm -hmm. doesn't want to come back because she's busy, okay. takes too much time. Okay. I'm working, you know, so those okay. are, I get, I hear all those things and I try to be like, oh, you know, I think maybe I'm just being too understanding. <laughs> 
So your original thought was that it, it takes a long time for patients to have to come back. Like it's going to put the inconvenience by having to come back. Okay. Correct. That yes. was the thought driving this, you trying to find a workaround is it's going to inconvenience my patients. But when you step back from that and you think about the value that you're giving them, I'm looking at the information. I want to convey that to them at the highest level. And I want to be able to find the best solution for you in your busy life, in your not busy life, all of that. They are getting value from you, right? You just showed me the value that you're giving to the patient. Mm -hmm. And then you're, negating that by saying but I'm going to inconvenience them okay so instead I'll inconvenience me is the result right and I think over and over and over and over so when you think I'm inconveniencing them you get a little anxious about calling them back or what is that feeling that you feel I think I, I just, I don't love calling people back because I, <laughs> because nobody does. You're, you're spending your time. You're not getting paid for it. Like yes. Amy said, very, but there's very. This other, but there's this other piece running in the background that says I can't inconvenience them and you feel guilty. And so you do all this stuff virtually, which inconveniences you monetarily and in time. And I think I'm not really, it's, it's difficult to explain things on the phone. I mean, unless your, your creatinine is 1.0 or, you know what I mean? Like you're really just a basic, Mm -hmm. um, something super basic. Um, but super basic is not physician work. You're going to give that message to the secretary to pass to the patient. Right. Right. But I mean, honestly, (laughs) most things aren't super basic. That's right. You're giving high quality value you are the decision maker the executive and the boss of your day that young mom if she wants vein surgery she's going to figure it out that nursing home patient if they are a surgical candidate they have to demonstrate that to you by coming back for an appointment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm they love an outing what if they loved an outing what if that nursing home patient loves to get out but if that nursing home patient can't hear you and is relying on other people to convey what you said by phone, right? What is the best for the patient in this scenario? The best for the patient in this scenario is to get your highest level brain, which is you in the room with them. Mm-hmm. I want you. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I can't argue with that. So, I mean, I think I just need to think about it differently and say, hey, you need to come back. Right. And now yeah. how is that going to feel when you first start thinking that? They need to come back. They're going to give you all the wine. Oh, uh, <laughs> story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you uh, sure? it's going to feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. It is. It's going to feel very uncomfortable. And is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And why? What is going to be different for you when you're getting patients back in the room for the visit? Um, well, because I just think I can do a better job of, of really explaining the procedures or issues or whatever it is, you know, I mean, I think it just kind of, and it gives them their, just like anything, you know, like you have to show up to kind of like have a stake in the game, if you will, which is really important, I think in surgery. Yeah, there we go. So it's not, (laughs) it's not coming from a selfish place. Some responsibility too. Yes. You're not coming from a selfish place. You're coming from a place of empowering your patient to give them the ability to help you with the decision-making. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, that sounds, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then I think I, I have been doing myself what I could be delegating for surveillance um, studies um, that um, I could be potentially delegating. I just don't have a mechanism to be sure. And I don't really trust the people yeah. that I work with. to actually do that to like call with routine results and notify me and know if something is not routine which is a problem (laughs) so I guess so you can look at the routine results and then send that out to them to tell the patient you don't have to rely on them looking at them so you can do the looking at and then referring on to start with but you're right You, you said something very important I don't trust that system so I won't use it 
Mm-hmm. That is true of every physician. So when we set up new processes, new systems in our clinics, unless we trust it, we won't use it. And so it takes that moment of what is the exact process I follow to get that result? And then can I teach that to someone? Like for instance, triaging, triaging the letters that come in. What is the exact process I use to triage that letter? Then can I teach someone? Then can I look at the quality of the work? Once I understand that they're getting it right, so they maybe have the first go at 20 letters and then you bring it back and you look at how they triage them then you start seeing if you trust the process. Mm-hmm. That is how we teach those possibly less physician work pieces to our staff. Okay. We develop processes in our clinic. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Sure. Thank you. All right. Now, let me pop you back there. I'm having trouble figuring out how to put people back in the panel. I think because we've got so many panelists. <laughs> okay, I had some things come up in the chat box. And if anyone else wants to come on and ask me questions, please put your hand up. Uh, okay, my patients complained about the copay that come up for telehealth results. Uh, sorry, to copay to come back or the telehealth for results. So copay to come back, this is exactly the same discomfort as just asking the patient to come back, right? So you're going to have discomfort about it, but that is their high value in you getting them back in. That is a question you're going to ask yourself. Um, patients are allowed to whine and complain. Does it mean that you're going to make a difference in how you show up? It's up to you, right? Other people's opinions are nothing to do with us. Um, but if you want to come on and ask that question, Jess, we can talk it through. <laughs> they want you to work for free. Are you okay with that? Exactly. <laughs> no, we're not okay with that. Physician under earning is a huge problem and you're doing it to yourself some of the time. Um, a person in clinic for results keeps a new patient out, which may give me a surgery. Interesting, Amy. So then you get to decide how you would like to deal with that follow-up. Okay. And you start to be curious about the length of time for appointments, if that's something that is within your control or not. So it can be looking at the triage letters and seeing what is going to give me a surgery and starting to say yes to those and the ones that aren't going to give you a surgery, saying no to them or sending them to someone else. Possible. Um, I've lost a lot of staff and leadership has said things like do more phone visits while we are running down. Oh, while we're looking for nurses and MAs. Is that what you mean, Devon? Uh I had an NP and made a lot more money and got a lot more surgeries. Interesting. This is a nice way to do work. Okay. Anybody else want coaching? Put your hand up. I would love to walk through your clinical day with you and see if we can get you thinking about things slightly differently for you. Okay. Physician assistant, seeing things that just need test results and don't need surgery. Interesting. You guys are thinking about this beautifully, starting to think about how you could do differently your clinical days. All right. So those of you who have uh, specialty hats, so you're looking at radiology um, and you're planning the surgery, you're starting to do, have to do calculations and imaging. When do you do that highest level work? What time have you put aside for that? Is that best done in the morning when your brain is freshest or it doesn't matter to you, but have you actually created some protected time for that work? Um, have you got protected time where, you know how when you hop into your work list and you, you look at it, you're like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And you're doing work twice or three times or four times. Um, we're trying to avoid that. You can't see a patient come out of the room, have a quick sticky beak in your work list and do your charting before the next patient, right? And there's just no time to make those phone calls. And so trying to put down the discomfort of wanting to look at your work list between patients and having time for that. All right, Lindsay. 
the best at the end of the clinical day when I'm somewhat fresh. <laughs> yeah, end of the clinical day sucks though, right? If you were to design the most amazing clinical day for yourself, would you be doing your inbox at the end of the day? That's a question to consider. Exactly. Nope. <laughs> all the higher level calculations, planning surgery and stuff, not inbox. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. But if we know that a portion of the patients you see today will need imaging looked at closely for planning surgery, when would you plan that? So each week you'll have a certain number of patients whose imaging needs to be looked at in order to plan surgery. When would you like to think about designing that? Where would that time be best placed in your clinical day? What would that look like for you? All right. Anyone else have a question that they want to bring to coaching? Going back through the chat to see if I missed anything. Um, running back to the clinic to running from clinic back to the hospital delays notes. Okay, so Ellie, you had said that earlier. So what I want, want you to start thinking about is if you were in the room with the patient and your notes were done at the end of the encounter, how would that look? What would you start doing differently within your consultations in the room that would end with a patient scene and a note done, or at least mostly done if you're not doing any in the room at the moment? So they are things to start to be curious about. If I could see patients in closed notes, even though I had to run to the hospital as well, how could I do that? Um, all right, new EMR. So new EMRs are an amazing gift sometimes. When we transition old patient notes into new EMRs, that can be absolutely awful. But what you want to be thinking about is how do I pull information out of the EMR. So how do we put information in? What do I need to pull out? So for instance, do I need to know all of the diabetic patients on this panel of patients? In which case, how do we put that information in? When images come in, how are they labeled? Is that, so if you want to find MRIs in a patient's chart, how did they come in? Um, where would you put and how do you get new forms in? So if you've got different consent forms that you want automated, who's going to do that for you? So these are parts of a new EMR, which can help you with your patient's problem lists. Whose job will it be to put the problem list in for that patient, like the different medical conditions that they have? So that can be generated. How will letters look back to the family physician? Who can create that perfect template for you? What template would you use for your particular type of patients? So when you're in surgery, you may have different particular conditions that you, you see and you want a template created for you that you don't have to keep editing, right? We don't want to use somebody else's template that you always have to go in and fiddle with. That just costs you time. Um, patient who brings imaging with them, huge times up pulling up outside imaging. I love this question because you know this about your new patients. Your new patients bring imaging with them. So we absolutely need to find a process where that imaging is already arriving with the referral or the referral comes in and somebody knows, hey, we don't have imaging. We're going to need imaging. So the same thing happens with medication lists. So if you can't see a central medication list and you're saying to the patient, so what medications are you on? And that's a huge time suck because they're like, I don't know, two white pills and a pink one. Not helpful. So now we want to say we want a process that happens that new referral comes in and there's this tick box that the staff are working on. Do I have the current medication list from the pharmacy or from the patient or from the family doctor? If not, why not find it? Do I have the imaging? If not, why not? Let's find it. So there's this tick, 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 and that patient doesn't get to see you until all of the boxes are complete, right? If we're starting to think about what holds you up, and one of the things that holds you up is the imaging is, ta-da, 
brand new that's going to take you 10 minutes out of a 15 minute appointment, we should have had that well ahead of time. So I love that. What else can you identify about your day and your new patients that holds you up? Where are your minutes and seconds going? Uh, now, if you're waiting for imaging to arrive for that patient, can we split that encounter? So you leave that room or you're waiting for the imaging going to the next patient. So this is part of leading the consultation where you are like, well, I need this piece of information, which is still coming. So I'm going into the next room and then I'm coming back to this patient when I've got the imaging. All right. Anyone else? This is so helpful. Thank you so much. I wanted to bring up two things, if you wouldn't yes, mind. Of course. If you wouldn't mind just talking, the, the person who said the patients or the moms don't like paying the copay, uh, yes. and so I don't want to have them come back. Can you just, because she can't come on right now, but could you just like coach her a little bit virtually on that thought and how it's not helping her? And then I'll, I have another one after that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Because you probably have the same issue with your patients too, not wanting to pay the copay. Doesn't bother me at all. I don't do phone. I don't do phone notes. I don't talk to patients on the phone. That's my rule. That's my boundary. They come in or they telemed. There we go. Okay. I don't, I don't work for free. Plus I'm paying for 40 other people's salaries. So okay. like, to me, I don't have this problem. So talk to, talk to the other people. Okay. So the patient says, I don't want to pay a copay. I think you should call me right? So that there's no copay required and there's may or may not be any income for you. I'm not sure how you're set up. So they, they say that that's just a, something that they say. Now you have to think about how you want to think about that statement. Do you want it to bother you too? So the patient says I'm bothered by having to pay the copay. What, how do you want to feel when they say that? Do you want to feel like the empowered boss that you are that says, I see patients in the room for their best and for their highest good, for the best value I can give to this patient is in the room so I can actually talk through what is the clinical decision-making and why about this particular consultation. So if this patient wants surgery from a surgeon, they have to come in and see the surgeon, okay? Or they find another surgeon or they don't come back. That's on them. That is part of the patient's decision-making tree. So they have free will. They get to have free will. They get to decide whether they will or won't come back. All right. You get to decide how you want to feel when they say, I don't want to pay a copy, copay. You can decide to make that mean I'm a bad doctor. I want them to come back and they have to pay again. That's terrible. Or you can simply take, borrow some of Kelly's thoughts of, I give great value to my patients and I don't work for free and feel amazing about that. But this is part of the building self-confidence about knowing that you are the executive decision maker. You are the surgeon. You are at a very high level of functioning and you have great value to give to your patients. All right. Is that helpful, Kelly? What's your next one? My next one kind of ties into what somebody was saying here about the employed physician. Tell me how you navigate. Like, I I get that we are the masters of our day and we certainly are hurting our, like, I get all that. But I also see these doctors where it's like five MAs quit. They can't find any more surgeons. Like they're, and the admin's like, well, they haven't quit yet. Here's more and more stuff for you to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, truly the, it's more the admin burnout on them than yeah. than them just needing to kind of fiddle on their minutes and seconds at what point do you say it's time to advocate on a systems level because you have you truly have so much you're doing four jobs okay got it so the first thing i want to tell you is that if you are on a salary and you have zero control over how many patients you have coming in for the day there is even more requirement on you to be completing tasks as you go for the day because if you're taking any work home you are now contributing to your own under earning you are now diluting your income by seeing patients in the day and doing all of that admin at night stop it okay we want all of the work within the work hours so now we're seeing patients and closing notes 
faster than we ever have. You are direct and to the point and you're just doing what's required in those consultations. Like this is part of leading the session. This is part of you knowing what is my highest value to this patient in the amount of time that I've been given. So I have got physicians right now who are wiping down the room, then calling in the patient, then seeing the patient, then doing the charting, then calling in the next patient after cleaning the room. They're changing the toilet paper in the bathrooms. Okay. Of course, this is not physician work. Why would we pay someone $120 an hour to clean the room and change the toilet paper in the, in the office? It doesn't make any sense. But if this is the world that's currently presented to you, we have to preserve you. And so that doesn't mean you have a 15 minute consultation with the patient. That might mean you now have seven minute consultations with the patient, in which case, what is the highest level I can give the patient with the time allowed to me? So we're not talking about perfect. We're talking about excellent. Excellent is the best I can do with the circumstances as they are so that we can help you stay in a position of empowered, not having the effect of your day at you. So you're not at the effect of your day. You're still saying, hell no, I need to get out of here. Otherwise I don't have time for rest and relaxation. Otherwise I'm taking work home. Otherwise I'm constantly feeling like I'm never done. And that's a terrible place to be in. We need to look after you. So if you were to ask yourself, how can I best look after you? Even when they're double booking me and they're making me change the sheets and change the toilet paper in the office. Now what? Now what to see the patients and still go home with everything done? How would I start to craft my day so I can look after me at the highest level? So then from a systems change, of course, we keep advocating for you, but um, I want to look after you right now, today, even when you're having to see double book patients and even when you're having to clean your own rooms. You're not alone. It's, it's absolutely not alone. Um, as we're starting to, okay, so the other thing, for instance, meetings. So they love to throw lunchtime meetings at you, which gets rid of all of the protected inbox time, right? So now the only opportunity to do protected inbox time is in the evening. So with those meetings, we have to be really curious with our time when it comes to meetings. Why are meetings an hour? Why are meetings 30 minutes? Who decided this? What is the actual agenda for this meeting? Remember, meetings are very expensive. If we put 15 of our doctors in a room, it's $600 every 10 minutes, right? That is what a meeting costs. So when somebody says, oh, we want to come and talk to your doctors, we think about, is it worth $600 for them to come and talk for 10 minutes? And they're likely to take 15. It's like, no, absolutely not not worth it. One of the doctors might go meet with them and give a concise three-minute summary or an email or a brochure. Start to be curious about meetings. What is the agenda? Who actually needs to be there? What decisions will actually be made at the end of the meeting? And what is the start time and end time and be on time and end on time? And don't say yes to every meeting. Meetings are a waste of our time. Waste of because you've got other things to do, <laughs> higher level things to be doing. Oh, and saying yes and saying no. So making decisions with now and later in mind. So this goes in your consultations. If you say yes to doing that form for the patient, not inside this consultation, you're saying yes to homework. That's number one. If you say yes to seeing problem number two in the room, that's going to cost you time because you have to give good value, remember? You can't see a shoulder in 30 seconds. You have to actually consider the shoulder, examine the shoulder, listen to the story. Like your clinical decision-making is not, um, we don't lose the value there. You have to give the value to the patient. So it's going to cost you later in terms of when are you going to do the charting on the second problem. So that's, again, why would we say no to a patient in the room? Because we're saying no to homework. So we're saying, I'm here to see you for this problem. No, I can't manage your hypertension. That is your family doctor's job. Whatever it is that you're saying yes to in the room when you should be saying no to in the room 
and why? Because I'm not your primary physician. I don't know the reasons why these medications were chosen for you. That is not what you want me doing. I'm your surgeon. I'm not your family doctor. Okay. So that is the reasons why we say no to patients and the how to say no to patients. And then when they say, hey, would you like to be the XYZ, you know, um, faculty something or other department head this year? I want you to pause to say this. Thank you for the offer. That's very flattering. Let me get back to you. Because if everything you say yes to, it means saying no to something else. You want to give yourself the opportunity to pause because it's very flattering to be given hats. But then when you actually think about the time commitment, where am I going to fit that? What will that mean saying no to? It could be saying no to reading or guilt-free relaxation on the couch or a couple of nights a week. And you might say yes after that. You might be like, you know what? I really want to do that. Sounds amazing. It fits with all of the things I'm interested in. I will say yes. But you've given yourself the opportunity to truly consider the question rather than just simply saying yes when you feel like, ooh, they like me. They want to give me this. So just keep that in mind, the now and later in mind. Yeah. All right, Kelly, I don't see any more questions here. I think we got to the end of them yeah, all. This has been so helpful. And, and I thought, I mean, I was coming into this pretty solid. <laughs> and, and even as a pretty solid person, I'm like, yep, good. Okay, that's useful. That's awesome. Um, I want to give one more minute for anybody to type in a final question or to raise a hand to come on to get coaching. Um, this has been incredibly helpful. Just challenge the thoughts and the beliefs that we have about how it should be or that we have no control or that we can't do anything to change our day. Like even if we can just even start chipping at that to get, mm -hmm. I love the word curious. Mm -hmm. Curious just kind of is such a kind way to be like, really? Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, yep. And then Jess says, if anything comes up for, uh, after this session, bring it to to our group membership, and we'll we'd love to do coaching on it then. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much, yeah, Dr. Smith, for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for spending an hour with us to try to make your life better. That's Have awesome. a great day, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.